John, you ready back there? Okay. So this morning is December 26th. It is 2010 for a few more days yet. Our message this morning is going to begin in Genesis, so you can turn there. It is called After It's Kind. After It's Kind. I have uh, XM radio in my truck, and uh, it's really nice when you're traveling long distances. You don't have to change the radio station. And I'm a pretty simplistic guy. I listen to the same worship CD for a couple of years before I try to them. I listen to the same two radio stations all of the time, wherever I am. And uh, I heard a, a, a funny story that I, I want to tell you about after it's kind. Little boy in about the second grade uh, was given one of those reports, just like, uh, ironically, my son had. And it was on his family history. He's supposed to do a little poster about his family's origins, its roots. And uh, so he goes to ask his mom uh, about his homework assignment. But she doesn't quite realize what he's doing. She's doing dishes and stuff. You can, you can uh, picture that setting. And he says, Mom, I need to ask you where I came from. And immediately fearing the whole birds and bees discussion and assuming that's where it was going, she says to herself in her heart, you know, I don't have time for this right now. Uh, honey, you know where you came from. Uh, we've told you this before. The stork brought you. The little boy looked at her, kind of not contented with her answer. So he walks into the other room, and Grandma's in there crocheting. And uh, she's been overhearing this and thinking, there's no way this burden's going to fall upon me. <laughs> and the little boy says, Grandma, I, I need to know, where did I come from? She goes, well, honey. Same as your father and his father before him, the stork brought you. So the little boy walked back to his room, sits down at his desk, and begins to write. In my family, there's not been a normal birth for more than three generations. <laughs> Even children know that uh, a tree is going to produce another tree. Uh, monkeys are going to produce monkeys. This is not an anti-evolution sermon this morning. This is just a Bible truth sermon. Are you in Genesis 1? Yes. In Genesis 1, look at the 21st verse. Tell me when you're there. If you a big head start. I'm still in the book of introductions here. In Genesis 1, the 20, 20th verse. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. You'll find similar statements about each of the days. God set this up so that there's a kingdom, a phylum, a class, an order, genus, and species, and everything gives birth according to its kind. When you get all the way to Genesis 7, and things are going on to an ark after... Uh, the prediction of a destruction. God wanted to preserve the earth or the remnant of the earth. And He put them on the ark, Genesis 7.14 says, according to their kinds. Turn with me to John 3. 
Tell me when you're there. 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 In John 3, pick up with me in verse 5. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. I want to tell you that what we think on, the way that we were born again, the way that we encounter God is important. It's important because no matter what we do, we are going to give birth to something according to our kind. If a man spends his entire life indulging in certain things, have you noticed that it passes to the children? Some people have spiritualized this to the point where they call them generational curses. If a man spends his whole life doing certain things for God, it has a way of running in family lines, doesn't it? God blesses to the thousandth generation. I wanted to encourage you to think for a few moments about your lives. Is your life representative of the fact that you are born of the Spirit? Or is it mostly flesh? The intellect will reach an intellect. A college, a seminary, will produce whatever it is. Because it's going to give birth after its kind. Have you ever seen parents that said, we don't know how little Johnny and little Susie got this way? How naive could that possibly be? You know exactly how they got that way. It was either through your encouragement or neglect, but both had something to do with you giving birth after your own kind. In fact, one of the difficult things about being a parent is your children's faults can, can really just be a way of looking in the mirror and it's yours magnified. This is another principle in the Word. We're going to be fruitful and multiply. It's exponential. Something that happens in the first generation is exponentially increased in the second and exponentially increased in the third. And it grows and grows and grows until it consumes something, whether good or bad. I want to tell you, I was recently in Mexico, and I was reminded of how this works. This is a really important day in my life. I didn't feel very well. Can you relate to that at all? I knew that it was God that I'd go, and so I got my whole family, and we all went. The problem is, somewhere along the way, I became less sure. And then while I was there, not feeling good, dirt blowing in my eyes, all of the terrible reports that you hear about Mexico, I began to sit and think, why am I here again? And I forgot for a moment that my trip was born in the Spirit of God. The flesh will always give birth to more flesh. The Spirit of God will give birth to the Spirit of God. As we began to worship, because the flesh is where I was operating, I began to notice things like, the worship's really not that good musically. I began to see other things, like, you know, that guy says this word an awful lot. You ever got focused in on one word somebody uses? How about this? Amen? You're with me? Amen? 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 Sometimes I can even get focused on the breaths between those words. And God said, and then he went, exhale, please, please. 
And I began being focused on all of the things that are distractions and not important. The flesh was giving birth to the flesh. But when I began to see the need of the poor and the need of the people, it has a way of centering you on what is important. This is why I want everybody in this church, everybody associated with this church, to get out of the country sometimes. If you're in heaven already, it's difficult to know what you should want. I'll teach you more about that in a minute. So there was a woman named Melinda. Melinda has been in a wheelchair. Her kidneys don't function. And Melinda has no feeling in her leg from mid-thigh down, either leg. And when you touched Melinda's legs, it was a little bit like touching the windshield of your car today. Icy, icy cold. Which is strange because Melinda was genuinely a happy person. You would associate joy with her. She smiles. She likes to look you in the eye when she talks. And even if she doesn't understand, she does her best to pay attention and follow. When I put my hands on Melinda's legs, I felt cold. It felt like death. People began to gather around because Melinda had come forward in a group of several hundred people who live on dirt floors and rain blows sideways through their houses and they're not sure where they're going to get their food from day to day. And she had a need. And the need that she thought she had was for her kidneys to be transplanted. She came forward because she said that she wanted a kidney transplant. That's a strange thing to come forward for in a prayer line, isn't it? I'm coming for, well, it may not be strange in the church as your friend. This is when we pray that the surgeon be skilled rather than pray the person be healed. And there's a place for both. But what you swim in the most is going to have a way of following you, I promise that. She came forward not expecting healing, came forward not asking to get out of a wheelchair, but just could she get an organ transplant? Could you have mercy for somebody like that? Immediately our hearts began to be moved. But you know what else is still there? The cough that we have. The fever that my children have. My, my daughter is still broken out from head to toe in a rash. But the Spirit wanted to birth something. Wanted to birth something for her and for the hearers of this message today. So as we began to pray, we struggled through interpreters. said, Melinda, what is it that you want? I want an organ transplant. My kidneys don't work. We pray. I'm not interested in her organs for some reason. And I began to ask her about her feet. She said, well, my feet are numb. They don't move. I can't walk. But what I need is my kidneys to be fixed. I, I understand, Melinda. Please, interpreter, ask her when we pray, does she feel anything happening? So we began to pray for her ankles. Then we began to pray for her knees. Then we began to pray for her hips. And the interpreter, when I look up, is not there. You ever been in a place that you felt like everything, even the wind, was discouraging to you? I couldn't ask the woman what I wanted to ask. I've got Rosetta Stone on my computer, just like a lot of you. But I've not been very faithful with some of the things God has given me. So the interpreter comes back, and I'm praying, and I can feel something. I feel that God is birthing something in the Spirit. So I'm curious, can she feel it? He says, Melinda, this pastor wants to know, do you feel anything in your feet? I've been praying from the tips of her toes to the top of her head. She began to be excited and said, I feel like walking. We took that woman by the arms, stood her up out of the wheelchair, and with every step she took, color rushed into her legs. When we touched her legs, they were as warm as her face. 
Now, I could stand before you selling Shem Wow or something. <laughs> I could tell you for $19.99 you could hear the rest of this message. But what God has given us freely, we're freely giving you. That woman walked about 40 feet on the stage leaning upon us, made a turn. And the second 40 feet that she walked on the stage, she was no longer leaning. And the third time she made the turn, she was walking as good as any of my kids, even though she was very elderly, strong. When she went back to her seat, which was a wheelchair, her relatives all moved out of the way and showed her the wheelchair, the place they were used to seeing her sit, the place the devil had made her accustomed to be. And she refused to get in her wheelchair. When she did sit, which was maybe an hour afterwards, she sat in a steel chair. And I was curious. I got busy with other people praying and doing other things. And every once in a while I would glance over and began to wonder, was that really what I thought that was? <coughs> and I noticed that her daughter seemed particularly moved, but not necessarily in a good way, skeptical. So I walked over and through the interpreter we asked the daughter, could Mama walk? No. How long could it be since Mama had walked? A year. Has Mama tried to walk in the last year? Yeah, she tried once. She fell on her face and she had to wait there all day because there was no one to help her up and she couldn't get back in her wheelchair. She'd been confined to the house for a year. She can't go anywhere by herself. She's not strong enough on the uneven ground to push her wheelchair, so she was stuck in the house, a shut-in. I'm just curious. What do you think has happened here today? The woman looked at the ground and began to cry for the first time and looked back and said, a miracle of God that nobody can deny. Then we began to get reports from the other people who knew her. They couldn't believe that the woman who needed kidneys was up walking around. But the best picture was food in hand pushed her wheelchair home. <laughs> Friends, the spirit will give birth to spirit and flesh will give birth to flesh. It is important what you expect. It is important what you believe. And if you swim all of the time in the world of the intellect that has reasoned God out, you will never see the supernatural power of God. Because although you may have accepted it in your head, you do not believe it in a way that shows up in your actions. This is not an isolated incident. The meeting where we were holding this is next to Maria, Jonathan, and Javier's home. Two years ago, we prayed for Maria. She had cataracts so badly that she couldn't see. Maria has not missed a church service in the last two years in C's 2020. Jonathan, an 11-year-old boy who could not go to work, he worked to support his family because his mama had cataracts and his grandfather was a, a cripple in bed. He had fever and couldn't go to work. He got healed the same day. And now he's the first to greet us when we arrive on that campus every time. Smiling 13-year-old boy today. The Spirit will give birth to spiritual things. Now when we show up there, they don't just want to be fed. They expect something supernatural. It's the day after Christmas. Why are you here? Did you come out of an obligation to a family member? Did you come just because you'd like to assuage some guilt? Why did you come? Because spiritual things will give birth to spiritual things. 
Have you ever been in the situation where you ask the question, why do all those things always seem to happen somewhere else and they never seem to happen here? Have you ever been in that situation? Turn with me to Matthew 11. Y'all not going to talk to me this morning, are you? There. Amen. I was tempted to stop a preacher one time. I was just a young man. I didn't know anything, but I defined the word amen. I wanted to know what it meant, and I looked it up. I had just gotten a Strong's Concordance, and I wanted to see what it meant. And in the Strong's, it was something to the effect of so be it, or so be it unto God. And I was probably 19 years old, and he was preaching, and he was giving a testimony of a woman <coughs> who went to a grocery store, amen, got in her car, drove somewhere, amen, and was on her way to an abortion clinic, amen. And I realized what he was saying, and that he didn't know what he was saying. It was just a place to fill, <laughs> fill words. And I want to raise my hand and stop. You know, I said, no, 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 that's not an amen. Of all the places we could solicit an amen, that is not an amen. What we think in our words, they do. They have meaning. Both. I encourage you to think on things that are spiritual this morning. And let's see if something spiritual can be born in you. And if you're not getting what you would like to see, if when you read this word, it's like reading about a story a long time ago in a galaxy far away. Maybe it's because we've had too much flesh giving birth to flesh in our lives. And we need to examine the kind we're hanging out with, the kind that we are, and the kind that we're birthing. Are you in Matthew 11? Yes. Matthew 11, look at verse 4. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear. What's that next phrase? And see. If we were giving a report of most American ministries, almost any American ministry, what would you do? You would go give a report of what you hear, but could you give a report of what you see? Jesus' ministry was something that had a demonstration of the kingdom's power in it. He said, you go back and tell John not only what you hear, but also what you see. What kind of things surrounded Jesus' ministry? The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. And the dead are raised. Hear this last one. And the good news is preached to the poor. The good news is preached to the poor. You remember how Jesus announced His ministry? Anybody? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Nick, you preached on this. Why? To proclaim good news to the poor. You can find that in Isaiah, but you can also find it in Luke 4.18. One of the issues that we have as Americans is we're not preaching the good news to the poor and we're not seeing signs and wonders. You know why? We're in heaven already. We have no needs here. Let's be honest. Almost everybody's got some upper respiratory thing. What do you think when you get it? Wow, I might have to schedule an appointment with a doctor. If you're like me and you don't have health insurance, you might even think, I wonder if any of my relatives got any antibiotics left over. I think I took Jennifer's from a dental thing she had about six years ago. <laughs> you're even willing to invest your money in it, aren't you? How much for a new patient visit? Not, not, not a regular one, a new patient visit. Last time I had one of those, it was $245. Well, that shows where your trust is, doesn't it? I'm not a Christian science person. I'm not teaching against doctors. 
But I want to tell you what kind of ministry surrounds your life. Is it spiritual or is it fleshly? Go tell John what you hear and what you see. You see amazing signs and wonders and you see good news being proclaimed to the poor. Turn with me to Luke 16. Heaven already. You don't hear this message preached very much because it's not very popular. And the goal of nearly every American church is to build as big a crowd as possible. Tell them all the things that they've already agreed on about Jesus. And do it in a new and exciting way every Sunday so that they will like you. This is the purpose of American ministry. And if something is uncomfortable, I don't know, say like the two prophecies in other tongues we had this morning, well, maybe we should push that to a home meeting. Maybe, maybe if something is less desirable to some of you, in an effort not to offend you, maybe we should not do the things that God's Word describes to make it more palatable for you. This describes the American ministry. How many times has somebody said, hey, I don't feel good. Keep me in your prayers, huh? How many times have you heard that? When did you go grab some oil, take them to the elders of your church, pray and expect them to get better? Right. So, well, we're Pentecostal. We do that sometimes. Does the Bible say to do it sometimes? Is that what it says? It's a funny thing. We talk about things of the Spirit all of the time. But what you mostly see is flesh giving birth to flesh all over the place. And it's like we have an unspoken agreement. Hey, buddy, what, what are you? Oh, I'm a Baptist minister. Well, what are you? I'm a United Pentecostal. Well, what are you? I'm Methodist. What, well, what are you? Well, I'm Assemblies of God. Well, we kind of all know what category each other are in, and then we work just... Let's just not offend each other, you know? Yeah. Do you see any example anywhere in the Scripture like that? Here, here's another one. Well, I know that all of this is gross error, but to get to the people... I mean, we want to get the message to the people, so we'll put up with all of the gross error just to get the message to the people. Well, what kind of message are you bringing them then? There's a man that has a church with some 40,000 people. He wrote in one of his own books. It was disturbing. Disturbing to him that 30,000 people were in this church in the Northeast. And they did a survey. They found out that there were child molesters in the church. There were everything you could think of in the church. So, well, that's not disturbing. Why would that be disturbing? I mean, the church is supposed to be a hospital. You're supposed to get people well. You're supposed to see them born again and change. The disturbing part was most of them had been there for a couple years. And their lives had not changed. The flesh is giving birth to flesh all around us. Is this why we go to church? We go to church so that we can do some service to God. That's flesh giving birth to flesh, friends. You go for a dynamic, impacting, cutting, experience with the Holy Ghost. Do you know two-thirds of the word is correction? One-third of the word is encouragement? Does that describe the average American preacher you know? Two-thirds correction, one-third encouragement? Maybe he wants something from you. Maybe he's more interested in what you can give him than what he can give you. That's a lot like Jesus, isn't it? No, it's not. Then why do we put up with it? Why do you imitate him? Why do you watch them on TV and want to become like them? <coughs> oh, that's right. Because success in American ministry is having a bunch of people. I guess Jesus was not uh, not very successful then, huh? What did he finish with? 12? 
11, that's right. One of his turned out to be a devil. Oh, well, that was before the baptism in the Holy Ghost. How many were waiting on the baptism in the Holy Ghost in the upper room? 120. But the scripture declares more than 400 people saw him after he had been raised from the dead. Do that math, why don't you? Apparently not everybody wants to be born in the spirit. They like it comfortably in the flesh. Are you in Luke 16? Look at Luke 16. Oh, why don't we pick up in 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. He was an American. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. He's a Mexican. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell... Rich people don't go to hell, do they? Because, I mean, financial prosperity is a sign of spirituality. Isn't that what's being taught on TV every day now? God doesn't want you poor. He wants you blessed. How many times have you heard that? It's almost as if you've never read this book. Or somebody hasn't read this book. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham! Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in, it, in agony. You know why there's not a longing for the kingdom of God? We've created our own kingdom of heaven now. We have the best of everything. Come on, let's be honest. At any point yesterday, while standing around that tree and watching people open and open and open and open, did it ever sicken you just a little bit? When you talk to people, when relatives come over, when you go to other people's house, and what they're telling you is, oh, <laughs> my kid did pretty good this year. And then you listen to the things that were showered upon this child that you know to be a brat. And they number in the hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Doesn't that bother you just a little bit? Is it okay that most of the world does not have clean drinking water? And when I pulled in this morning, someone in our church had left a bottle of water completely full in the parking lot. Does that bother you at all? The Spirit will give birth to the Spirit. And flesh will give birth to the flesh. Friends, we do our very best to make the flesh uncomfortable in here. I mean, we really do. We went out of our way to make our building practical and not pretty. We went out of our way in every way to make sure that we have not appealed to your flesh for a reason. I've observed the plague of American ministries. is when you cater to the flesh, it turns on you and devours you. The moment that the color of the carpet is not right, there's a church split. The moment that sister better than you is not the one playing the organ, there's a church split. Do you think God's kingdom is this way? Do you think that our goal in ministry should be, let's appeal to the lowest common denominator in the room. Let's pick them. 
make sure that they are completely comfortable, and then we'll all have unity. Is that the way you've seen Jesus do this? He said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. The crucified Christ draws people to Him. Well, how? Because those who are willing to be crucified with Him will come to Him. Not those who are just willing to watch Him be crucified. Not those who believe that He was crucified. But those who don't shrink back from death. Those who are willing to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Him, they will come to Him. How many did He get in His initial gathering? Eleven out of an entire nation. Three thousand on the day of Pentecost. And growing every time thereafter. And what circumstances were they growing under? Incredible persecution like the world has not yet seen again, but will definitely see again. So what if we decided we won't be here for anything like that? We'll be flown away. The flesh has given birth to flesh. This is how 80% of a nation claim to be a Christian. And you see nothing spiritual in it. And we like it. We put up with it. We say things like, man, that guy can really preach. What difference does that make? Where did you see that listed as a skill in the Word? And John the Baptist, who really could preach. Where do you see this in the Word? Well, that brother really can say, you know, I just love that praise and worship. I mean, that brother can sing. Where do you see that listed in the Word? The flesh is giving birth to flesh all around us. And yet, there are still little old ladies getting out of wheelchairs, if you look. We have to decide what is it that we want to give birth to. We have to decide, are we willing to do whatever it takes to see the kingdom of God advance? Or are we content with this strange mixture of iron and clay all around us? Turn with me to Luke one thirty-five. <laughs> Intellect, universities, seminaries, dead churches give birth according to their kind. We are in desperate need of spiritual power. And for all of the great healing movements that we've seen, we still see mostly flesh even in our healing services today. You know, if you're healed, you won't have to make it up. You'll be the first to know it. You know that the woman suggested she get out of the hospital and nobody else did? You know why? She felt the Spirit of God moving upon her. What we're content for is parlor tricks. Come here, Natalie, stand up. Oh, baby, you got a headache. You got a headache. Any better now? Any better? Oh, Jesus, help her. Any better now? You feel a little better, don't you? She could feel better. See, she feels better. Hey, have a seat. And then we call that the power of God. When the power of God is on display, it is undeniable. It is undeniable to anyone who is willing. Do you think that there may have been someone there who was skeptical in the crowd? Yeah, he was the one praying for. You know who knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God had birthed something in them? The afflicted one in the wheelchair. Because it was for her, not for me. Boy, there's an interesting concept, huh? Is your ministry for someone else? Or is it ultimately for you? 
Why do we feel the need to put on a sign, Pastor so-and-so here? Oh, how about this? Better than that. Executive pastor. Senior pastor. Elder pastor. Founding pastor. Have you found any of those terms in the Word? No, but you find them ripe. It's the first thing that you see on every church sign. Wow! We want you to know who's important. Well, you did a good job. We know who you think is important. Eric, do you realize when you say this thing, you alienate the people? Yeah, absolutely. You want to be crucified with Christ? You want to give birth to something spiritual? Or do you just want to be entertained? Entertainment has no end. You remember the great line from Gladiator? Are you not entertained? After he killed all of the people? The flesh will delight in things that God never <coughs> would delight in. Purple-haired, ridiculous clown Christianity and thrones on TV. The flesh will love it. And God has no place in it. He says, well, who are you to say that? Examine the fruit. Jesus was not working to get little ladies to give their estates to Him. You won't find that anywhere in the Word. He was looking for what He could contribute to other people's lives. You know the heart of a fleshly life? Selfishness. You know the heart of something born in the Spirit? Self-denial. Sacrifice. Crucifixion. We need to be very careful that we have not worked hard to make sure everybody likes us. It may not feel like it to you this morning, but that's an issue that I have. Somehow or another, in my carnal nature, got worked in that desire to please the football coach, to please the pastor, to please the father, to please whoever it might be. God has worked very hard in me. It's not been hard for him. It's been hard for me. Nothing's hard for God. Just strip me of that. Somebody wants to talk to me about the baptism of criticism that undergoes that you undergo in ministry so that you can be free from the fear of man and inoculated from the praise of man. This is where the church needs a baptism. The church needs a baptism that is spiritual. Say, so, well, you don't understand, Eric. I've received the baptism in the Holy Ghost already. What does that mean to you? You uttered a few syllables in another language? Is that what Jesus said? In a few days, in Jerusalem, you will utter a few syllables in another language. Is that what he told you? In Acts 1, it, it, did he say, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive a few syllables in another language. He didn't say any of those things. The kingdom of God is about power. <coughs> Look at Luke 1.35. Somebody read that out loud. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you overshadow you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. When something was going to be born in the spiritual realm in Mary's life, when something needed to be conceived that was of God and not of her, the defining feature was that the Spirit of God overshadowed her. She didn't overshadow Him. So how would that even be possible? It's almost all you see if you look around. What you hear is, I'm a great man of God whose great faith does all of these things. And I greatly did this and this and this. And I did it in Jesus' name. Does anybody know who Jason Updin is in here? Yes. Listen to the song, Dying Star. You will hear his personal interaction with God on this. He said, anybody who wants to serve me needs to get rid of idolatry. 
And the biggest idol, Jason, standing between you and me is you. You need to die. You can't be bigger than me. Say, well, Eric, I never have felt that way. <coughs> Every time you choose to do what you want to do instead of what God has told you to do, your life is painting that disclaimer for the whole world to see. Every time you look into the Word and know that the Word says something should be done this way, but you accept a substitute, an alternative, something more palatable to you, you are declaring with your life that you love self more than you love Him. If that's not a convicting word to you, you're deaf <coughs> or your heart is calloused. I hope that leaves everybody in here incredibly convicted. And that's not where Jesus wants us to stay. What good is conviction? What good is it just to feel bad? Why does your father allow child to experience pain? Why does the healing warmth of my hand flow through Gabriel repeatedly as it makes contact with his body? Why would a father do something like that? Why does daddy correct you? So that you learn. And what kind of things receive the most correction? Things that endanger his life. Let me ask you something. If I said right now we're all going to Mexico, everyone in here, and Mexico's not the end of the earth. Mexico's our bordering nation that happens to be in poverty. Things that don't get. If I said right now we're getting in the car, tell me, you please speak out loud. Church is not a spectator sport. Tell me, what kind of things come to your mind? Financial. Financial. Do I have the money? Somebody said disease. What else? Violence. Violence. Would fear grip you if right now I said, Hey, praise God you showed up. I don't know whether you knew it or not, but we're getting on the bus this morning and going. What kind of things would come over you? Do you think, Oh my God, I don't know if I have all my meds? <laughs> would you think, But, but wait, wait, I, I mean, I promised so-and-so we were going to go to that buffet. What kind of things would enter your mouth? That's not where I wasn't planning for it. I don't like surprises. That may be the biggest problem with American Christianity is it's predictable. We know we're going to come in at a certain time. We know we're going to leave at a certain time. We know how many songs will be in the song service. We know how long the pastor will preach. And we know the subject matter he's going to cover. No surprises because we don't like them. They're challenging, you know. I would say Jesus was the least predictable person on the planet and the most predictions about him in the Bible of all of them. Isn't that a, a strange paradox? The Word tells us exactly what he would be like, and yet nobody recognized him. Might we have trouble perceiving things of the Spirit? Yes, so you must be baptized in him. Immersed in him. We're content to play Sandlot football. Turn with me to Matthew 22. So let's go back to our example. Mr. UPC, Mr. Baptist, Mr. Methodist, Mr. Non-denominational, they're all sitting in the same room. How long does it take before some doctrinal discussion comes up? You either have to avoid it altogether, we're simply not going to talk about those things, or it's going to come up, right? So Mr. UPC wants to talk about God is one, he's not three. 
Uh, Mr. Baptist wants to talk about the fact that we're saved. You're always saved. God's hands a little bit like a prison. Mr. Methodist would like to talk about maybe good children's education. Okay? All three neat subjects. And before long, they're riding their pet ponies as far as they can. What is getting done for the kingdom while that's happening? Anybody in here play on an athletic team, let's just say in high school? They'll get a larger number of people. Go ahead, raise your hands. Athletic team somewhere in high school. Matthew and I were on a team that went zero out of ten. In a homecoming one year, we had 67 points scored against us. And we bear crawled 100 yards 67 times as punishment in front of the hometown crowd. That was special. By the time that Matthew was a junior and I was a senior, we developed a winning record. <laughs> it was not great, but it was a winning record. Something we could finally say, feel a sense of achievement. And that year, all of the people who did not play football arranged a sandlot football game between the seniors who played and the seniors who didn't play. Oh, it's really awkward. Who would you think would win that game? Those who played, right? We didn't. <laughs> we didn't. All the people that did not come out for football in a Sandlot football game beat us who practiced for four years and made it our very life. On one hand, you think, man, that's impressive. On another hand, you might think it's sad because they had an opportunity to play and they never did. What were they content to do? sit around, sit on the sidelines and in the crowd and talk about what they could have done if they played. Our doctrinal discussions are a little bit like Sandlot football. They're talking about what you would do if you were ever actually in the game. I would encourage you that your doctrine will get worked out at altars in foreign countries. Your doctrine will get worked out when you face real need. Yeah. I, I, for instance, let's just examine one quickly because there are other subjects that I want to cover this morning. <coughs> let's just say for a moment that God wants you blessed. That God wants you blessed in a financial way. That the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the, the sons of righteousness, right? Let's just say that you've been listening to, I don't know, Mr. Quarter or whatever the guy's name is that is preaching that here recently. Okay? And he's even telling you right in the memo of your check, money cometh. Because he lives in Darrow, Louisiana, and it's a message that is caught on among the poor there. Money cometh, right? And this is your doctrine. Now, imagine you're not American. What are you? Let's just see. Oh, I know. You live in the Congo in Africa. How well is your money cometh doctrine working for you in the jungle? Well, I tied the monkey and I got back seven monkeys. <laughs> I used to have only one grass skirt. Now look at me! I got seven grass skirts. Is that ridiculous? The kingdom of God is not an American monopoly. The kingdom of God is something that works all over the creation. Your doctrine will get worked out as you actually do something for the king. You know when they become important to you and not just axioms you uh, try to live up to like uh, political party platforms? When you see how they affect people's lives. Yeah. Hmm? 
some of the more ridiculous church teachings out there. By the way, you go talk to somebody whose fingernails have been ripped off for Jesus. Somebody who spent some serious time in jail for Jesus. I don't know, read a Richard Warmbrandt book. <coughs> then start to talk to him about God would not let his bride suffer. See how that doctrine works out for you. Hmm? Let's go to the Sudan, where Christians have been tarred and feathered and crucified by Muslims. Let's tell them. God would never allow his bride to suffer. Tell them that. See how that doctrine works out for you. When it gets difficult here, buddy, don't you worry. You look up, you'll fly away. You know what books I think probably would not sell well there? You already know, don't you? Turn with me to Luke 10. No, I didn't read to you Luke 22, or Matthew 22, did I? No. This is worth reading. It's all right. You don't have to be there. I'll read it to you. Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. It's an amazing thing. The people He says this to are discussing. They're Pharisees and Sadducees. They're discussing the doctrine of the resurrection. They're discussing how marriage affects it. Do you think that these people knew the Scripture more or less than you? Because by the time they were five years old, they were in a school of sort, being taught to memorize the first five books of the Bible. The Pharisees, by the time they were 13 years old, the men who were on this council, had all of the 39 books memorized. The really good ones had the opinions of other rabbis memorized as well. So what did Jesus say when He said, you do not know the Scriptures? It means you can be around this all of the time. You can know the right words to say. But when you don't know the power of God, you don't really know the Scripture. It's just intellect. The flesh is reaching the flesh. Do you know anybody that can quote you seven Scriptures right now that cannot live one Scripture? You don't know anybody like that? Did y'all not shave this morning? What happened? He's talking about me. Yes, absolutely. That's why you're here. Do we know more Scripture than we can actually live? Then the question becomes, do you really know it? See, a Jew would not say that you know something if they don't see it demonstrated in your life. They would not say that you know it. In fact, know and see are words that are difficult in Hebrew because they have such similar meanings. That's true in South Louisiana too. Come see. Our level of education has far outpaced our level of obedience and we have to do something about it. When people get fired up for the Lord, one of the first questions they ask is, should I go to this school or this school? I'm thinking, why would you go to either? What did you see there that drew you? It is almost never that they saw and admired some great man of God there. It is almost never that they heard and felt the power and presence of God there. You know what it usually is? I want what they can give me. Flesh of your birth to flesh. Period. You'll get what they are. Well, God sent me there to change it. Okay. You work that out between you and Jesus. Turn with me to Luke 10. The reason I use words like almost 
I remember writing a letter for Patricia to go to Bible school. Patricia had seen a revival. She experienced the power of God in a place that she had never felt it like that before. She found out that there was an opportunity for the very same people who were responsible for the revival to teach her how they learned to walk in the power of God like that. It's one of the neatest times in her life. That might be a good reason to choose your Bible school. When you see something in someone's life that you think is the king of kings' desire and you have in you a burning passion to be like that, well, we call that discipleship. But academic achievements have never produced anything for the kingdom of God except men who are academically achieved. Which of the apostles did he pick like that? Go in Luke 10? Look at 10 and pick up with me in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy. John's wife was with him. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. When is the last time you met a Christian anywhere that was excited because they had just found out they had spiritual power? Oh, what are we excited about? Man, our church has put on the newest program. We got a famous fleshly athlete to come in and everybody's coming to our church and we're going to have pizza. <laughs> These are the kind of things Americans have accepted as a substitute. Oh no, I know another one. Oh, Brandon, our church is under a renovation project. It's $2.2 million. We're going to have the prettiest stained glass. You never saw a building like our building. These things are not praised in the Bible. Never. You want to do a church renovation project? Start with your own life. You're the church. You want to talk about beautiful adornments? You're supposed to be adorned with righteous acts of the saints. The Bible calls it a white garment that is undefiled. They're the ones who stood before Jesus and they were not blotted out of the book of life. They're the ones who were ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb and invited into the kingdom of God. What an amazing gospel this is. And it sounds almost foreign, doesn't it? Better be careful what we hang around with. We better be careful what we give birth to. Are y'all in Luke 10? The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now we're going to sit around and argue about whether those things even exist. (laughs) They might even be preaching. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. Let's stop with that phrase for a minute. No Christian has a trouble believing that Jesus has authority. We believe, Lord, You have authority. We believe You can do anything. We believe You, 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 You. That is not what He said. I have given You authority. Many times I'm convinced that we sit around praying for the Lord to do something He's already deputized you to go do. President of the United States, kill this Iraqi. Come on, President, I wrote you a letter. I'm asking, I'm believing you can do it. President of the United States, kill the Iraqi. Because we're at war with Iraq. Now the president has already empowered people as the commander-in-chief to go do that. 
They've already been assigned their task. They've already been invested with heavenly authority to go do it. And what do we do? We play sandlot football instead. That's not how we were meant to live. This is why you're filled innately with a sense that something's wrong with this picture. I can't figure out how to adjust the dial. Some of you bounce from church to church looking for something that looks more right. Start with you. Start with you. The kingdom of God will flourish everywhere its citizens do. Look, I wouldn't normally use myself as, as an example, but God, God put me here. You really think that if I'm made to attend a Jehovah's Witness church for the next year, that something's not going to change? Some of you swim in situations that should spit you out. And if they don't spit you out, you need to ask yourself why. Yeah. Why am I palatable? Don't let the world paint you. Don't let the world dumb down your Christian belief. Every time I'm with pastors, they want to know two things. How many butts are in the seats? And what is your doctrinal statement? makes me every time want to say, you coward. What a cowardly thing to do. You can't stand to have to take a few minutes and get to know me and evaluate my life. You have to sum me up by the number of butts in the seats and my doctrinal statement. Things that Jesus was never concerned with. Saints, might we have the courage to look for something born in the Spirit? Jesus says, I have given you authority not to step on snakes what does it say trample on them but did he also look at religious people and say you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath so then a great question arises out of the scripture are you a snake are you the guy that tramples on snakes you know what is not scriptural to be the guy that's friends with snakes Mm. What an interesting divide. It's almost like separating sheep from goats. You're either a snake or you're the guy that tramples on snakes. I have a loved one who was recently proclaiming to me that the way is not nearly as narrow as I had faded. And that I really just don't understand how innately spiritual he is. is defined by selfishness. It always has been. You should see our correspondence back and forth. The only reason I didn't put it on the screen for you today is because I have hope that he will repent and turn around. What is your interaction with other people like? Are you the snake or are you the trampler? Are you the guy that's trying to be neither? Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just be friends, snakes, and people? You're either filled with the spirit of disobedience, Ephesians 2 says, or you're filled with the Holy Ghost. There was no middle ground. You're not allowed to be lukewarm. You have authority to trample on snakes and scorpions 
and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. How many of you, when we began to think about Mexico, thought about what would harm you physically, financially, reputation, time, whatever it is? How many of you thought about what would harm you? I want to tell you, after boldly proclaiming to my family, don't you worry, we're in the power and presence of God. There, there's no problem here. Crossing the border. You know who's trying to jump in the car with me? Fear. Of course it is. This other thought is right there with me, though. What do you think is more dangerous? Do you think it's more dangerous to go among the poor, the oppressed, the violent, or sit in a church that has a form of godliness? but no power. Which do you think is more dangerous? Reminds me of a discussion I had with a Mormon one time. It was rather heated. They said, you're treating me like I'm a drug dealer or something, trying to run me out of your neighborhood. I said, you're worse than a drug dealer. Drug dealer created an addiction. He sent people to hell. He was ashamed. He's a Christian today. Mary, producing after his own kind, little sold-out believers. What are you producing? Is the Spirit giving birth to Spirit in your life, or is it a big flesh fist? Turn with me to Luke 24. Can you all kind of feel that window narrowing? The clock is getting closer to noon. What is supposed to happen at noon? It's over. It's over. Our church service is over. Then you get your whole world shaken upside down with the idea that you are a church. That there is no such thing as full-time Christian ministry or ministers. There are only Christians who are in this service full-time or they're not Christians. So what does it really mean that that clock is about to strike 12? Well, that might interrupt your schedule. What's most important? Oh, well, he who has the longest church service is the most spiritual. If that were true, Catholic weddings would be the most spiritual event on the planet. <laughs> but this brings us back to why are you here? Did you come here because you want God to birth something in you? You're willing to carve away the flesh. The Jews call that circumcision. Even if it's found in your heart. In Greek, that word heart is kardo. It means the very center. It's the main drag in the town. In Hebrew, it's lab. It means the center of a human being. When they said circumcise my heart, it's not their beating organ. It's the very center of who they are. And you know what circumcision is? Cutting away flesh. How many came here to get your heart circumcised? You in Luke 24? Look at this. Luke 24 starting in 48. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city 
until you decide you are ready. See if your head's nodding. Is that what it says? No. Stay in the city until you have your denomination's approval. Stay in the city until you pass the test. Stay in the city until you get a USDA stamp that says you're a Christian. Stay in the city until what? What's it say? It flows with the power from on high. So anyone who is right now not praying in an upper room in Jerusalem, but is a believer in Jesus, is supposed to be what? Clothed with power from on high. This is a really uncomfortable thought, but can you imagine for a minute one of those weird dreams? You're suddenly naked in this room. <coughs> How uncomfortable is that? If it's not uncomfortable for you, you have other issues to <laughs> counsel with you about. What would you feel? What would you feel if you were naked in this room right now? Would you be looking for a fig leaf to cover your shame? Yeah, I would too. If you were naked in this room right now, would you feel out of place? You know my nudists go to colonies? They're trying to get rid of that. They're trying to be around people that are as depraved as they are. If you don't see where I'm going, let me go ahead and connect these dots for you. Christians that are not clothed in power like to hang around Christians who are not clothed in power because it makes you rid of that feeling of shame. It makes you rid of that feeling of something like there should be more. So they build big universities. They build bigger denominations. They spend all of their time encouraging each other about things the Word is not focused on. How many of you want power? Because you have that choice. You have the choice to wait upon His power until you have been authentically touched by God and you won't need anybody else to tell you it happened. You know why? It happened to you. I didn't need a single human being to tell me I had been saved. You know why? I was saved. Let's examine something for a moment. The Bible gives us the right to teach salvation, doesn't it? Yeah, we're told to go proclaim it. The Bible gives us the right to pray for people's salvation, doesn't it? Yes, we're told to pray for the lost. Our Father desires that not one would be lost. When were you ever given the right to declare somebody saved? That's not your job. But, if nobody in the room has power and you want to turn out more just like you, well, come to the front or stay in your seat and lift a pinky while everybody's head <coughs> repeat after me. No change is necessary. No endowment with power is necessary. No witnessing. Necessary. You know what's necessary? Keep paying into the system. And, hey, you know what? We can appeal to your greed while we do it. Pay into the system and God will pay into your life. Now we have wrapped our minds around what it means to say. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. <laughs> Should we pause on that one? Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Who would ever think that would be a, uh, 
a mark of spirituality. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, unforgiving. I forgive everyone. I just hate them. Don't want to see them. I forgive them. But at the mention of their name, my lip curls. There's nothing Americans lie about more than the unforgiveness that's buried in their hearts. It's always interesting, husbands and wives. Everything's just fine. Till the big fight occurs. And in the big fight, how many years does the unforgiveness go back? Ever since we were first married, you! You think unforgiveness is not killing you? Even on our honeymoon, this! And yet we pray things like the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But it's all just meaningless words. We know the Scripture, but we don't know the power of God. I know people that are dying over this verse right now. And nobody grieves for them. Because they say they're Christians and everybody believes it. Their actions deny that truth, just like Paul wrote to Titus. But hey, if somebody says they're a Christian, they must be, right? Slanderous, without self-control. This was written before PDAs. This was written before laptops. This was written before Hell's box office came into your living room, without self-control. What would he write now? Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than God. He saved the very best to the last, didn't he? <laughs> Lovers of pleasure rather than God. How, how can millions of American believers walk around unconcerned about all that's going on around us, not witnessing to your neighbors, not supporting your church, not praying for miracles, not stopping the sick, right then and right there and expecting healing. How can we do this? Because we're not clothed in power since we have learned to love pleasure rather than God. You know, there'll be a day where we get to give an account for loving lost more than loving the presence of God. There'll be a day when we get to give an account for loving American Idol despite its name more than worshiping the living God. And we're going to have a difficult time saying we didn't know. We weren't told. Because it's written in the book sitting in your laps. We are supposed to be waiting until we've received power. And friends, when a house receives power, everybody knows it because its lights are on. And it begins to shine in every direction. You remember those old funky cars that had headlight covers? I mean, in the 70s, the Lincolns had that. They had this plastic that always rotted away between the hood and the bumpers. It looks silly now, but in the day, man, that was everything. Get you an orange crush, drive that, and they'd think you were in a certain profession. It's like the church has its headlight covers down. The smile on your face, the radiance of God's glory should cloak your life in a way that nobody can miss it. 
ask you to judge our service by one thing. Certainly not the quality of the preaching. To be honest, I care very little what you think about that. Not about Matthew or Jennifer's voice, or Brandon's ability on the drums, or JJ's ability on the guitar. I'd like to ask you something. Did you feel the presence of God? And did it make you uncomfortable at all? See, he's not my genie. He's not here to do what I ask him to do. We're here to do what he's asked us to do. And if you were fine before you walked through the door, then why are you here and not starting your own church somewhere? If you were fine before you walked through the door, then why did you come? If you're standing in perfection now, then why don't you go belong to one of the denominations that is already in perfection now? They got that doctrine so tweaked and tight that Jesus himself is impressed. Nobody's getting out of wheelchairs. But boy, they play good sandlot football. I think that the Spirit of God brought you here. Some of you wanted to be here and some didn't really. You just didn't want anybody to be disappointed with you. I think he brought you here so you could examine whether your life was giving birth to flesh or the Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an optional add-on. When you buy a car, you get to choose. Do you want the moonroof or not? I mean, some people like the wind to blow in their hair, the little hair they have. Some don't. Some want to crank down a window. Some only want to push a button. These are optional add-ons. The baptism in the Holy Ghost was never an optional add-on. Never. It was never something just so that some could feel more spiritual than others. It was never something so that some could go, I speak in other tongues and you don't. Well, I prophesy and you don't. Well, do I have to? It was never these kind of discussions. It simply came down to one thing. You would be clothed in power or you'd be naked before God. You would be the kind of person that trampled on a snake or were a snake. You would either be dripping with the presence of God or you would be left to drip with the presence of yourself. This is what it comes down to. Well, how do you know something like that? These days you take pills to feel good. If you don't feel good, you take pills. But if you take too many, they say, be careful, it gives you suicidal thoughts. Isn't that funny? Anti-depression medicine, medicine gives you suicidal thoughts. Your feelings may lie to you. Your heart may lie to you. But what is born of God in you will be evident in your actions. I didn't feel much spiritual the day that woman got out of the wheelchair. I didn't feel good at all until she got out of the wheelchair. When you go to pray for somebody, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? It's a big obvious ailment. What did you do wrong? In other words, you're getting your life right. What's another thing you think of? If somebody, I don't know, has no arms and you're praying that arms appear. What if it doesn't happen? Nick, would you come down here? Nick is going to have no arms for a minute. He's going to sit in this chair. Sit in that chair right there. Nick's got no arms. Cross your arms, Nick. He's asked for prayer. Right? Why does he ask for prayer? Why does he put himself on public display by asking for prayer? 
because he's at least hoping to be healed. Right? Is that a sign of faith? Yes. We're clear right now. Nick has no arms. If I don't pray for Nick, is there any chance he's going to get arms? If I pray for him, might God have mercy on us both and he grow arms? But if I don't pray, what happens? So we're clear then. If the people of God do nothing, the oppressed stay oppressed. If you go try, you may fail. But if you don't try, same result, right? You fail without even giving any effort. Which do you think God's going to honor? I want to encourage you to put feet where your faith is. Don't tell me you don't know anybody oppressed. I know you. I've seen your families. You know me. You've seen mine. Try. Start with your own life. Next time you get the sniffles, maybe we don't just run for NyQuil. Maybe we could stretch out in some area and believe. That's kind of it, isn't it? Belief. We've tried enough and failed that we don't believe anymore. This is why the prophecy had sprinkler systems instead of praying. <coughs> Turn with me to Mark 16. We'll close with this. Maybe. Verse 15. Go into all the world. At least where it's comfortable or safe. Or there's no war or no poverty. And dear God, no disease. Don't go anywhere there's disease. I don't want you to get sick. Go into all the world. Well, the world in those days was really... I mean, it's a lot tamer than it is now, right? Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those whose doctrinal statement is right. These signs will accompany those who attend the church of their preference. These signs will accompany those who have the right creed. These signs will accompany those that tithe well. These signs. What does a sign do? Why is there a sign at an intersection? What does it tell you to do? Gives you instruction. And these signs will follow those who believe. I'm going to come to the real hard truth because you're not going to see me after a few minutes and if you get real mad, it'll be okay. Deal with Cody. <laughs> The problem with seeing signs is not locational. It's not geographical. Our king said verbatim, these signs will follow those who believe. What is the unavoidable conclusion to the no signs question? People do not believe. That's fine as long as we say people. But we're not here just to talk about people. If you do not see signs of any kind you do not believe Eric if you just look there's a note in your in your Bible it says that this this passage was not in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts 
we're just all screwed up then, aren't we? Because that poor lady got out of the wheelchair because we read her this verse. Which would you rather have? The educational acumen to argue about why that shouldn't be in the Bible? Or the lady that got out of the wheelchair? Friends, it has to start somewhere. I'm suggesting it starts with you. So here's my prayer. Stand to your feet. This is what Paul prayed when thinking of the Ephesian church. If you see Paul in some super class, you need to realize he's a regular guy. That means when somebody hit him, it hurt. That means he actually got hungry. That means if he was alone in prison, because two scoundrels loved the world so much that they went back to it. Or he got news that another two scoundrels were spreading teaching among his people that was really gangrene. It hurt him. That means that the things that he endured were real human events, perceived and felt through normal human beings. Thinking about normal Paul for a minute, he entered the city of Ephesus and his disciples saw Apollos get filled with the Holy Ghost there. Then he finds disciples who have never heard that there is a Holy Spirit in Ephesus. They get filled with the Holy Ghost. Then he is so powerful in the spiritual realms, casting out demons, <coughs> seeing people saved, doing spiritual things, signs, following those who believe, that even the Jewish population wanted to imitate him. Didn't believe his message, but wanted to imitate him. So the seven sons of Sceva in Ephesus went out to try to do what Paul was doing. And even the demons proclaimed, I know Jesus and I've heard about you, Paul. In spiritual Ephesus, they burned their books in response to Paul's message and gave up thousands and thousands, <coughs> 50,000 days wages in repentance. In spiritual Ephesus, more than 20,000 people crowded into one arena in opposition to Paul. Chanted, great is their female goddess, Diana. They said Paul was stripping her of her divine majesty, <coughs> making her nothing. <coughs> one man turned that city upside down. Then he wrote back to the people. That he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He seated you with him at the right hand of God. This man knew what power was. He wanted you to walk in it. He had completely transformed the city in three years. He says this For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name function, its reputation, its character, its authority, its power. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. This was not so you would feel warm and fuzzy. It was so that you could stand in the same arena He did. It was so that you could face down the same powers that He did. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
trust. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. Power in community. Power as a body of believers. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled with power to the same place Jesus was filled with power. This is His prayer. Listen to why I prayed it. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power at work within us. <coughs> To Him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generation forever and ever. As a prisoner of the Lord then I urge you live a life worthy of the calling you have received. All the power in the universe is made available to you. All of it. You just have to that you want to walk in. That you want your life to be about being overshadowed by the presence and power of God. And if you really want that, the characteristics that cause it, that show it, all relate to selflessness. Get busy acting on others' behalf. And when God wants to liberate the oppressed, He raises up a man to do it. He wants to split the Red Sea. It's a man's staff that is stretched forward. If he wants a leopard cured, it's a man who prays for them. If he wants one nation to come out of another, he raises up a man to pray it. The Spirit will give birth to Spirit. What is He trying to birth in you if you will let Him overshadow you? Mighty God, Lord, we ask that You would overshadow us this moment. I'm certain that I've hurt some of their feelings. Your Word contains bitter herbs sometimes. But Lord, when we stand on what You've given us, it becomes beautiful honey. I'm asking, mighty God, that Your Spirit would magnify Your truth to them. Lord, that this would be something that they could stand on as their day of turning. Their day when you become more important than them in their own lives. Lord, we're asking not for the people in this room, but for the people who will be benefited by the message they bring. Lord, we're asking that sick would get out of wheelchairs. We're asking that blind would receive sight. Lord God, we're asking that those who are oppressed and discouraged and without hope would find life in you. Lord, we're asking that these Christians would be real ones. That Your light would shine through them and chase out darkness. Lord, we commit our lives to You this moment. We ask for Your power to be made perfect in our weakness and for the strength and courage to not fight to be our own strength and salvation. In the name of Yeshua, God's people said, Amen. Amen.